I'm really going to put, put you on the spot, but I just felt that we've just been singing about God, and God has a vision for each one of us, plans for each one of us, plans and vision for this church. And we've been singing about his love, um, such love for each one of us. And I just wonder, has anybody got um, something they'd like to share with us? Something that's maybe happened recently or from the past, where that's just been particularly close to you, where you've really felt God's love in your life. Um, it's an encouragement for us to hear from each other how God touches us and can use us and how we can see him working in our lives. Have we got anybody who would like to say something? Ethan. You want to share something, Ethan? Yeah, sure. The last couple of years, I've had a lot of serious mental health problems and a lot of emotional breakdowns um, something I've never told before about being suicidal and self-harming but through the power of God I feel that he's been there with me every step of the way and I knew if I just kept believing praying that he'd be with me there every step of the way and it's thanks to my powerful faith that I kept strong mm -hmm. and I thank everyone for their support and especially help for the church and uh, th thanks to the Lord he's motivated me and guided me to a lot of groups and I'm getting all that help and I am very thankful mm -hmm. for my Christian faith. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you for sharing that. Oops. We're going to do a plug. Um, not really. Um, we just want to thank God for bringing us to uh, the 40th anniversary of our wedding today. So, um, <laughs> the, the, the marriage has had its ups and downs, but I think that in the last <laughs> in the last few years, it's been absolutely fantastic, in spite of the problems, and we've we've seen God really working powerfully, and. You know, ministering to us in such a way that we would have never envisaged, mm. what, 10, 15 years ago. We'd have Absolutely. never thought that. And so um, we do really thank God um, and all of you for the prayers and support that you've given mm. us. And, you know, we really do feel part of this family and that we, we do treasure that. And we're just, well, blessed to be here, I would mm. say. Absolutely. Oh, sorry. Mm. Um, speaking of marriage, <laughs> this is a plug for the marriage course coming up. Um, and it was through this, it, it really did, um, it, it put our marriage in the right direction. I wouldn't say that it was all going pear-shaped, but it, it just helped put things in perspective and made our marriage stronger um, and just help us to love and appreciate each other even more. So I would recommend any couples that um, would want to give their marriage even a service, like an MOT, to think about coming on the marriage course. Um, and it's a fantastic way of just improving your relationship. And, and you know, loads of people have been blessed through it. Um, I know you have, and Mike has, and a few others. But uh, 
if you've not been on the course, just give it a, a think. Um, you got the dates. Yeah, it starts on the 28th of September. And even if your marriage is in a brilliant place at the moment, which we thank God if it is, you know, it can give you the tools. As many of you know, the last 10 years has thrown up a lot of stuff for us. And if it wasn't for the tools we learned on this course, then, you know, we probably would have really struggled. So, uh, do it. Just to continue on with that, there are leaflets out in the front um, for the marriage course. And if you do want to do it, I'd really appreciate if you could sign up, let the church office know as soon as possible because depending on the number of people, we'll either have it in church or if there's not so many couples, we will have it in, a, in a somebody's home. So we, we need to know, please, if you want to come. Anybody else want to share anything? Lizzie. Can you get up? Yes. I never actually feel worthy ever to... Um, express my gratitude and love for God but um, a lot of you know that four years ago last week I had a massive um, brain hemorrhage and stroke and I've been fighting back from then and I haven't been able to work and um, I've just really been devoting all my time and attention to getting back to uh, good health for my family and my, my beautiful daughters and husband and, uh, and it has been a real struggle I was in a coma for two weeks and I didn't know it but while I was in that coma, this man came to see me. He spoke down this cobbled path. The sky was orange, and he told me that I was going to be all right. I was okay. I was safe. And I didn't know it then. I had a, a, a very, um, well, I had a small faith in God, but I, and I called myself a Christian, but I didn't know it at the time. And it was only after I came out of my coma I realized through Alpha and other things, that man was Jesus, and Jesus saved me. And the only reason I've thought to come up here at all is because the words that, you know, God has plans for us have just echoed and resonated with me for a long time. You know, I've set up a support group. I work for the RNIB on a voluntary basis. I give talks for Action for Blind. All that stuff I would never have done but for my disabilities and now um, within the last week um, you know I know the plan is that uh, God's going to guide me back to work my work as a judge in Portsmouth and I, I pray that through my faith you know I can help dispense justice in a Christian way um, you know I may have bits of my body that are falling off and um, you know my eyesight's deteriorated again but do you know what he knows what he's doing upstairs so you know that's the only reason I came up to, to say thank you Jesus thank you God for getting me this far and for showing me some hope and some light when there was none and that's that's you know where we're going now that's his latest plan um, thank you, okay. thank you. Thank you. There's been three different stories, very different stories, but you know, they're a real encouragement to the rest of us here as a family. 
And, and being able to share things like that, I think, just brings us closer together as a family where we can love and support and encourage one another. So thank you to all three of you, for, four of you, um, for coming up, Victoria. saying to us as a church the prayer ministry you have here is Jesus is God using people but he does the work and I can give you a long list of testimonies of what has been happening so please take the opportunity take the chance when there is somebody praying go let them put their hands on you. Let them pray for whatever you've come here to receive because Jesus is here. The Holy Spirit is just dying to break through and answer every single prayer. It may not be the, just the way you want it, but be sure he will uh, answer your prayers. Thank, Thank you. you. So before we listen to what God's going to say to us through his word and through what Michael speaks, can we just um, stand and sing again, all who are thirsty, come to the fountain. And it's saying, come, Lord Jesus, come and speak to each one of us in whatever situation we're in. Lord Jesus, may your Holy Spirit just move amongst us this evening. May you open our hearts, soften our hearts, Lord. Take away anything that is a barrier between us and you and open our ears as you speak to each one of us so that your name may be glorified. Amen. Please sit for our readings. The first reading is taken from Isaiah 56 verses 1 to 8, and can be found on page 743 of your Bibles. Isaiah 56, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner 
who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them beside those already gathered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 10 to 17. And it can be found on page 989 of the Church Bibles. Matthew chapter 21, reading verse from 10 to 17. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. So let's pray.
Holy Spirit, now, I ask you to come, bless us, surround us with your power and your love. Open my mouth that I might speak your word, not mine. Open our eyes that we might see a vision that you give to us of your future, not a vision I paint of my concept of our future. Open our ears that we might hear your word and our hearts that we might respond to you. Earlier today, <clears throat> could I have this microphone down a little bit, just a little bit, down, the far one, far side. Hello? That's better, isn't it? Thanks. Earlier this morning, I was seen climbing to the top of the stepladder there. I'm sure you don't want me to do it again, do you? <laughs> Lord, I, I, it wasn't me. Okay. Have you got my um, Have you got my slide projection ready? My uh, slideshow PowerPoint. You don't have to show it yet if you've got it. That's great. So up here, I've got a very different view of the world. I can see you from a very different point of view. Some of you might not be pleased about that. Okay, I, I see different bits than I would normally see. <laughs> I can see a lot of dust up here. I can see some things that need fixing. I can see some great smiles, some lovely faces. I can see lots of spaces. I'm almost, I can talk face to face with the PA. Vision is a way of taking a different look at the present so that we can see a different future. We all want to know that tomorrow can be better than today. And that's what Jesus wants too for his church. He wants his church to be a place where tomorrow is better than today for everybody who comes. That's what he's offering to us and through us. So he wants to share with us both the capacity to have vision, to see the future, but also he wants to share with us a vision, a vision of our future, which will enable the future of this community to be different than it is today, different and better. So our PCC have been working really hard at a new vision perspective, a new vision that will drive us forwards over the next five years. In the next screen you'll see uh, they're working hard here on a flip chart trying to figure out what that vision might be. And they got really excited by this vision statement. Jesus' love 
transforming lives from the heart of South Sea. Next screen, Jesus' love transforming lives from the heart of South Sea with the strap line, loving Jesus, loving South Sea. Obviously, everything starts from Jesus' love. Without Jesus' love, nothing changes, nothing is possible for us. But with Jesus' love poured out in our lives, there is hope, there is healing, there is possibilities, there is significance, there is change, there is purpose, there is future. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you hope and a future. Jesus' love, through our love, transforming lives. That's what we want to see. We want to see people's lives changed for Jesus. People's lives changed by Jesus from the heart of South Sea. Not just amongst us, but around us from our hearts into South Sea, and then from us at the heart of South Sea across Portsmouth, across the city, across into Hampshire, and to London, and up beyond to the other parts of the United Kingdom, and into the world. The ripple of Jesus' love coming out through his people and his people here in this place, changing lives across the world. Loving Jesus, loving South Sea. Is it Jesus loving South Sea and we're loving that? Or is it as we love Jesus that we love South Sea? Or is it Jesus' love transforming lives and then things go wrong? Now, the funny thing is, I hopped up this step, I asked you that question, in a reasonably relaxed fashion, because even if you'd said yes, as you unfortunately did, I was quite happy to ascend this ladder. And that was because I'm very confident in this foundation for this ladder. This dais is very strong, it's built with a lot of heavy wood, and I've been jumping around on it for the last six months very happily, and I'm very confident that this would be okay. Now, had I built this, or had I planted this in my garden, that would have been a very different story. Or had I, as I did this morning, and I'm really not going to ask you the question, had I tried to use cushions as the foundation, it would all have been a lot scarier. But our PCC are determined that the foundation for our vision should not be a rickety, rackety foundation that will make for a scary vision, that will make for houses that fall over, buildings that collapse. Just, um, just go back on that. Just go back a few screens, would you, until you get to... I just want to back up slightly. Okay, to here. So the vision that the PCC have been working on it's still a vision about growth, okay? So four or five years ago, the PCC agreed that our vision should be a vision of growth. It should be a growth in which we sought to see um, that we were growing as a church, as a congregation, in numbers and an impact on the city. And that's still at the heart of our vision, to see us growing in impact on 
the lives of others. And that's because there are so many people around us who don't yet know Jesus' love for them, who don't yet know that he loves them with a love which is full of power, of healing, of generosity, of kindness, of significance, that brings to them hope and a future. It's also a vision that's still based on our five-fold core of wholehearted worship and hospitable witness and accountable discipleship and generous ministry and enthusiastic witness. The five-fold call of God upon us. That's still the shape of our vision. But for each one of those five areas, the PCC have been looking for a big scary goal that we could reach out for. Something that would, that would require us to really throw ourselves out, that was just out of reach, but that if we strained all our sinews, we might just believe that Jesus could take us over the gap to grasp hold of the thing that he's offering to which he's calling us. And they've been exploring some scary ideas like a school for discipleship and leadership, becoming a beacon resourcing church, becoming a center or creating a center to strengthen marriage and family life, meeting serious need in South Sea, perhaps uh, making, um, uh, uh, buying and running hostel, something like that, planting new congregations, perhaps completing the reordering of this building. Big, scary vision goals, which together would make up a huge vision for an impact on South Sea and beyond. Jesus' love transforming lives from the heart of South Sea out into the world. Loving Jesus, loving South Sea. Okay, but big buildings need strong foundations. Tall ladders need, uh, need firm foundations, a, a strong dais to build on. So the PCC didn't want us to build on um, soft, squidgy foundations like self-confidence and like um, uh, good intentions and good ideas. No, I'm not going to do it. They didn't want us climbing up on chairs, on cushions. Okay. What they want to see instead is the strong foundations of confidence in the God who created the world, compassionate intercession for those who are in need, sacrifice, not just... Um, uh, effort and enthusiasm and energy from us, but sacrifice that takes the, pays the price and stays the race. And on that, we can build then the basis of a strong vision that will make an impact. And on that, we then build the actual projects that God calls us to do strong foundations that can, uh, that can create um, a, big, um, a big ministry, a, um, a big building, a big vision. So the PCC aren't yet ready to release all the other scary vision goals until they're sure that we've got this strong foundation in place. So the only vision goal that they're prepared to release at the moment is the one that enables us to build this foundation 
and it's this. To become a contemporary house of worship and prayer for Portsmouth. Becoming a contemporary house of worship and prayer for Portsmouth. What does that mean? Becoming. Well, we do already pray and worship. Here we are tonight worshiping and praying. But God wants worship and prayer to be much more core for our lives, at the core of every decision that we take, at the core of every part of our lives, whether at home or at work, whether our friendships, our hobbies, recreations, whether our chance encounters or our long-term relationships. Prayer and worship at the heart of everything we do and becoming more so. Contemporary. It has to be said that you guys worship very differently to the guys who were at my first congregation at nine o'clock today. Some of you are happy in both, some of you aren't. My son would acknowledge that he worships in a very different way to my father. And here am I in the middle. The thing is, each new generation approaches the world in a different way because culture changes all the time. Culture is based on experience, on technology, on uh, developing language, developing concepts and expressions, developing temperament coming out of developing experiences of the world. And the culture of children growing up now is completely different to the culture of those who grew up during the war. Very, very different. And so worship and prayer, although to the same eternal God, worshiped by both generations, but worship and prayer needs to be expressed in new ways that are understandable to new generations. And because culture is changing all the time, we need to be changing all the time in order to discover ways of expressing prayer and worship in the ways that new cultures can assimilate, can appropriate, can receive them. So becoming contemporary, house, a house. Now I know that Jesus said to you and to me that we need to worship and to pray on our own in our private room, that the core secret heart of worship is where God listens to us, is what God longs to hear in us. Because when we're standing on top of a ladder, grandstanding to the world, we're not true to him often. We're too conscious of other people around us. But the thing is, Jesus also expressed in his life and ministry and his teaching that people need to see a place where they can come. For Jesus, in Jesus' day, it was the temple in Jerusalem. We had a picture up there. And that temple called people from all over the world. And when they arrived on the boundaries of Jerusalem, they could see the house of God down in the valley before them, glowing with gold. And it drew them to come and find God there. But Jesus came to say that God had made himself present in the world in a new way in his son. But his son did not just live and hide amongst his people. 
his son was lifted up. And behold, Jesus said, when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men and women to myself. Jesus created in himself a house of prayer visible to all the world so that he could draw all the world to him. And then Jesus said, you are my temple. Paul re-echoed that. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? We have become the house of God, but God doesn't want his temple to be hidden away in homes invisible to the world. He wants it like our spire, spire here to stretch high up above the city where it can be seen from every direction in South Sea. He wants us gathered together to be visible to the whole city, to be a house of prayer where all can come and find him. So, becoming a contemporary house of worship and prayer. Well, worship and prayer, there's so much rich that could be said, and we've had a summer school about prayer already this year, and I should be saying a bit more about it in a, uh, this next month. But in essence, what do worship and prayer mean? Worship means we come to Jesus, and prayer means we bring the world to Jesus. And in worship, Jesus comes close to us, and in intercession, Jesus comes close to our world. So here in this contemporary house of prayer and worship, we bring ourselves and our city to Jesus. Because this isn't just for us. It's not good enough for us to pray just for our own needs or even for our family's needs or even for the needs of this congregation. God wants us to bring the needs of all his children before him. Not just South Sea, but Portsmouth and beyond. You remember Jesus said, this is um, my house of prayer for all nations. Now we, we don't yet have a ministry reaching out to all nations here, but we do have all nations coming to join us here in Portsmouth and we've got quite a few nations represented here tonight. I can see maybe six or seven nations here this evening. And Jesus wants this not to be just a house of prayer for the English. This is a house of prayer for all his people from all over the world. God has given us a shared responsibility for this great city and we need to take that responsibility seriously. So, I've got some more things to say, but first of all, I think I'd like to invite you to turn to each other and to say and to share with one another, one another what you think it might mean for us to be a house of prayer and worship for Portsmouth. What might it mean for us to become a contemporary house of prayer and worship for Portsmouth? So take a couple of minutes, turn to the person or people sitting next to you, and ask them that question and share your answer.
Okay. So why don't we share a few of the ideas that we've had. What would it mean to become a house of prayer and worship for Portsmouth? Just throw out a few ideas. Yes. No, no, just, just say them from where you are. Fantastic. So what we de- do or say or think ourselves. Yes. Jeanette. I think we need to raise up young leaders and ask them what appeals to the younger people. Okay, thank you. So to be contemporary, actually ask contemporary people. Yes. Somebody else. We don't have anybody praying all the time, all day. Excellent. So 24-7 prayer should be happening in St. Jude's. I see a few people nodding. Okay. Yes, Nigel. Uh, we'll know when we've got there, when people start walking in asking for prayer. When people start walking in asking for prayer. Yes? No, no. Right. Yeah, go on. Uh, to be on the front line uh, with people of Portsmouth, not just to be in our world, but to be the issues of the day. Okay, praying for the issues of the day. All right. And praying hard for them. Kind of, so that's kind of front line, you said. So that's kind of warfare prayer we're talking there. Okay, so struggling in prayer. Yes. Did I see you? Any other ideas? What will make us a house of prayer and worship? I'll come back over your side in a second. Ensuring our own personal prayer life um, is um, on a regular basis so that when we uh, aim to meet together, uh, Jesus is already transforming us. Okay, so, so working hard on our own prayer life, so Jesus is transforming us so that he can use us in shared prayer transforming the community, yes. Spend more time to read Bible and pray at the same time. Spend more time reading the Bible and praying at the same time. Yes. <laughs> Good luck. Shout. Okay. Uh, basically, having a day out where you invite people to come to the house of God and pray. Okay. Any other ideas? Yes. Um, having a day out Okay. A day out when you get to invite people to come to the house of God and pray. Irene, anything you want to say about that? <laughs> I can be excited about that. From here? From here? I just thought to say it from here. Okay. No, come up. Come up to oh, the Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. There is an opportunity to do just that in a fortnight's time. Um, CWR are encouraging churches across our nation to have uh, a national prayer weekend to come together to pray for our communities. And so on the Friday night, on Friday the 25th, We're joining with St. Simon's for um, an evening of praise and prayer, where there'll be corporate prayer, there'll be individual prayer, there'll be group prayer for the needs of our community. On the Saturday, church will be open. We'll start 9.30 to 10.30 for prayer and pastries. It's a bit late for breakfast, prayer and pastries that Saturday. We hope to have set up around the church creative prayer stations, like we've had with 24-7 prayer, that will help us to engage with the issues, with the people, um, people known to us personally, people in industry, people in the shops down the road. Um, We'll be giving out invitations, prayer requests, saying, is there anything you would like us to pray for, for you? that we can give to friends, colleagues, in our place of work, 
to our MP, to our councillors, to our businesses in Palmerston Road. What would you like us to pray for you? And that will be part of the prayer stations when you come into church on the Saturday. We'd love to be open from half past nine till 6 p.m. And we're not doing 24-7. It's all happened a bit soon. But if we can be open till six and invite as many of us and the community to come in and to pray here in church for the needs of our community. If you're excited about that, do come and talk to me afterwards. And please pray for that event. Thank you. So an answer already to that question. Chalati, there you go. Well, here are a few of my ideas I've added in, but I'd love you to go on having more ideas. Well, actually, you'll see them if you read this brochure. So I won't tell you what they are. Read this brochure, okay? And in the middle pages, you'll find some of my ideas, some of which you've already mapped onto, okay? But I want to, I want to just talk a, a couple of minutes about uh, some of the things that Isaiah and Jesus said were involved in a house of prayer. And they're slightly different to what we might initially be thinking. So we're thinking about ways of praying. And uh, the, um, uh, the temple was all about ways of praying. But for Isaiah, what was also really important here was about the place of welcome. That this is a house of prayer for the people of the world. Okay. And there were two kinds of people in the passage that we had read that Isaiah said God particularly wanted to point out that were not being made welcome in his house of prayer, in his house. Okay, so guests of his who were not being made welcome. And uh, just come back to the house of prayer, just leave it there for a moment. Um, the first people um, that Isaiah points out are those who are um, mutilated. So uh, those who are called, they're called eunuchs, those who have been castrated, so they're unable to have children. That was a thing that was done often to men in public service, in the service of um, the emperors, because it ensured that they would be honest and have integrity, uh, particularly in their sexual dealings in uh, the household of the emperor. So the emperor could trust them. So often eunuchs became very high up as trusted advisors, but in themselves, they therefore, they, they bore the price of that in, in the withering of their own personal future. And so Isaiah speaks of these people as coming into the house of God, feeling that they are withered sticks, feeling that they are, they are uh, plants that have no possibility of future fruit. Now, more than that, you might think that uh, the people of Israel might, in the name of the merciful, merciful, loving God, might have pity on people who, whose lives have been blighted by their service in the world. But actually, because those people were themselves blemished, they were counted amongst those who were unable to come into God's house, into his presence, because their blemished nature would make it impossible for them to be in the same place as God. 
And I think some people, many people, find even today, not necessarily in this way, but that their lives have become blemished. Blemished either in their public service, by the things that they've had to do, the things they've had to agree to in order to rise in public position or, or working in the world, blemished by what other people have done to them, forced them to do, blemished by the experiences that they've had, the decisions that they've made, and they feel ashamed, and they feel cut off and shut off from God's presence. And there may be people who feel like that tonight. And God says to you, as he said through Isaiah, to the people of Isaiah's day, these people, these blemished people, are welcome in my house. And more than that, they may feel that their names are shameful. Their names will become glorious. They will have names of glory and they will have an eternal fruitfulness in my home. God is saying that today to us and to South Sea and to Portsmouth. There are so many people in Portsmouth whose lives are blighted. And Jesus is saying to them, you are welcome in my house. And in my house this promise is for you that you will have an eternal name. And we're not talking plaques on the wall here. We're talking a name of eternal honor in the presence of God. And we're talking an eternal fruitfulness in his provision and in his healing. The second group of people that as Isaiah pointed out that God was wishing to say were welcome in his house were foreigners. Mentioned that already this evening. Foreigners again um, play a particular role of significance in, in, in both in a light and a dark way in the Old Testament. In the sense that the people of Israel have themselves been foreigners in Egypt and, uh, and in exile, they have discovered being away from their homeland and God has gathered them back. So we, when we feel as if we are foreigners in the house of God, God gathers us back in. But more importantly than that, there were people gathering in Jerusalem from the ends of the world. And there are people gathering in Portsmouth from the ends of the world. And there are people here who are very far from the place where they were born, from their mother or their father, who speak a language now that they struggle with because it's not the language that they first learned, who struggle with culture and understanding why the British laugh when they do, and why they always talk about the weather, who struggle because they miss so much 
the, sound, the sounds and the sights and the smells of home, so far away. <coughs> Who have left behind family and culture and even faith, religion. The religion that they are born with have in Portsmouth, maybe some of you have, left behind your childhood faith and bound your name to Jesus. And Jesus says to you the promise of Isaiah, you will find joy in, that, in my house of prayer. The broken will find a name and healing and fruitfulness in my house of prayer. And the foreigners, the far away, will find joy in my house of prayer. And it's a very bad time to be a foreigner in Europe at the moment, isn't it? And we're reading all the time about uh, the struggles of many to get here and of the fear and anxiety that many here feel about receiving so many flooding across the borders. But Jesus says, foreigners, you are welcome in my house. And it's for us to discover, as the people who are his house of prayer and worship, how to make foreigners welcome. And amongst you, you've been exploring all sorts of ways of responding to the needs of Syrian refugees at the moment. And uh, one of the ways that we'll be, we've been doing today is to take a basket offering. So if you want to share something in a basket at the end, we'll send one round and we'll add that to our collection and send that off. We're splitting it between two organizations, between um, Tear Fund, who are working for Syrian refugees in Europe, and Open Doors, who are working with Christians working for refugees displaced within Syria, very courageously working there. So Isaiah points to two people, groups that God wants to welcome specifically into his house of prayer, the broken and the foreigners. And Jesus adds a third. He, says, he, he uh, welcomes, as you'll remember from our reading, uh, the, the, the lame and the sick, and he heals them, so he welcomes the broken in his house of prayer. He also welcomes children. Now, that's very startling for Jesus' day, because until children were 13 and adults, they were completely discounted. They were but women. <laughs> you know what? Jesus welcomes women as well into his house of prayer and children. Well, we've already dealt with women. They're very welcome in the house of prayer. And here at St. Jude's, we've already dealt with children. Children, too, are very welcome in this house of prayer. And it's decades since uh, I think a reprimand has been needed from Jesus that we were preventing uh, his children from worshipping him in his house of prayer. Although, Sunday by Sunday, there are always challenges as the children can be heard thundering their worship upstairs uh, with the patter of huge feet. Um, but this observation of Jesus, that children, from the lips of children and infants, God has ordained praise, has been at the heart of our ministry and mission to children for 163 years now. 
We've been around 164 years as a congregation, and the first year, at the end of the first year of our existence, we started to build a school. In the second year, we opened a school, and 10 years later, we opened another school up in St. Peter's, what became St. Peter's Parish in Somerstown, and then we opened a nursery, and then another nursery, and then 50 years ago, in October, we moved the school from its crumbling uh, um, premises here in um, Palmerston Road with its crumbling children over to a wonderful new premise. Well, they may feel crumbling now, <laughs> those children who are still with us, to a new premise um, near the cathedral over there 50 years ago in October. And to celebrate that, uh, as a church, we're going to be presenting 300-odd Bibles to the children, uh, modern Bibles to help them in their worship and their prayer. And then later in the autumn, I'm going to be presenting an appeal to you um, about um, how we as a church can make a specific investment, long-term investment, in the prayer and worship life of the school community. So three groups of children, three groups, sorry, that Jesus, reinforcing Isaiah, particularly welcomes into God's house of prayer. And we need to bear that in mind as we think about this as a house of prayer and worship for Portsmouth. A place for the broken and the blighted, a place for the foreigner far from home, and a place for children. Meanwhile, here at St. Jude's, we're working, as you know, on the foundations of our staff team, which uh, was all swept away last year, um, and uh, has been a bit of a juggle for those of us left behind, and those of you who were in the staff team and smiling, broad smiles on your faces as you're enjoying uh, retirement, some would say. No, they, they want to be back here, you know. But so many people went from the staff team last year, and we have been rebuilding this year. So first of all, Andy, our operations manager, um, has joined us. Later, uh, in two months' time, beginning of November, we have Jitesh joining us. Um, Jitesh Patel is coming from Christchurch Abingdon to join us. And uh, uh, fantastic that uh, the diocese has agreed to pay half his salary, his stipend, and to give all of the costs of his accommodation, but we have to find the other half of that. When he comes, he's going to be helping us to unpack some of the scary vision goals that uh, I was describing that we'll be releasing next year, including uh, the possibility of planting new congregations. That's something that's particularly on his heart. But when he first arrived, his first task with me and with Andy will be to bring prayer and worship further and more confidently to the core of our life as a church together. But building solid foundations for big buildings, for big visions, is costly. It's costly in all sorts of ways, but it's costly financially too. We know that, we keep exploring that year by year. And in the vision brochure that you've got, you've got one of these here. 
Have you got one of these? Okay, on your way out, you'll be given one of, oh, let's try that question again. Have you got one of these? One of you has got one of these. Two? Okay, on the way out, the other 37 of you can pick up one of these uh, vision brochures, and in them you'll see some more of what I've been saying about the vision. You'll see also a statement of what our need is um, and uh, what, how it is that we need to build that up. We've got a big financial need for the end of the year, and then we've got an ongoing uh, need to grow our, um, our on ongoing giving some more so that we can afford Jitesh and, um, and some of the other um, uh, staffing investment that we're doing just now. So I'd like you to go home and pray through this and ask God what it is that we could be doing in order to become more his house of prayer and worship and what it is that you can be doing in order to uh, join us in, in that. I want to end with a final story. Uh, there was a very ordinary guy called Bob. Bob was an insurance salesman just become a Christian, and uh, he was discovering a lot of things about God that he didn't know before, and one of the things he discovered was that um, God answers prayer. And he didn't kind of, he didn't, couldn't quite get his head around that, he didn't quite believe it. So he was talking with his friend, his friend's very creative. His friend said to him, okay, I'll tell you what, I bet you $500 that if you pray earnestly, every day for a miracle, you'll see one happen. What did I say? For a year. For six months. Thank you. Somebody must have been here this morning. <laughs> Heard this story before. If you pray every day for six months earnestly for a miracle, expect a miracle, then you'll experience one. And if, and if you experience one, you pay me $500, and if you don't, I pay you $500, and if you don't pray every day, the bet's off. Okay. So his friend went away and started praying. And uh, he thought he'd pray for the world, uh, but he thought maybe he needed to be a bit more specific about that. So he started praying for Kenya, a place that he didn't know anyone, he, did, he didn't know anything about Kenya. But as he started to pray for Kenya every day for a miracle, he began to find out about Kenya. You know, articles about Kenya popped up in front of him, and he would read them, and he would start to pray for the things that he was reading about Kenya. And he prayed for a miracle day in, day out. And a couple of months had gone and no sign of a miracle. Nothing had happened at all. And then one day he was at a, at a, at a works do. He, he was at a, you know, a conference dinner. Um, and he found himself sitting next to a lady who turned out to be uh, running the largest orphanage in Kenya. So he, he sort of sat up and took notice and asked her loads of questions about it. And she was so kind of impressed with his interest, she invited him to come over and, and, uh, and see them, look round the orphanage. So he agreed, and he went out, flew out, and looked round the orphanage. He was so shocked and appalled by what he saw that on his return, he wrote to all of the pharmaceutical companies that he knew, asking them to, um, to, to give to this orphanage some of the, um, the old uh, expired uh, medication and, and particularly um, 
medical equipment, which they could no longer sell, but which was perfectly uh, safe and usable, and they knew that, um, and could be used by this orphanage, which had nothing at all. And a couple of the pharmaceutical companies uh, agreed to do that, and they started sending equipment and, and stuff out to this orphanage, and uh, to the extent of you know, millions of pounds of kit arrived at this orphanage. Uh, the orphanage was so thrilled that they sent him an invitation to come to a, an evening of thanks, a celebration. So he, he uh, went with delight, went out to this evening of celebration, and at the celebration he met the president of Kenya, who had come to, because it was the largest orphanage in Kenya, had been invited and had decided to, to, to come and, and thanked um, this guy, Bob, for what he'd done uh, for the orphanage on behalf of Kenya. So, uh, yeah, fine, I, you know, I'm, I'm very glad. I don't think I've done anything, really, but, you know, I'm glad, glad it was useful. And uh, so the president said, would you join me? And uh, I'd love to show you around the city and show you the sights. And he said, oh, thank you very much, Mr. President. That was very nice. So the president showed him around and took him to the prison, showed him the prison. And he looked around, and he saw one group of prisoners, and he said, this group of prisoners sitting over on their own over here, who are they then? And the president said, oh, they're the political prisoners. And Bob brightly said, oh, political prisoners, oh, that's a bad idea. You should let them all out. And there was a bit of a kind of, you know, quizzical, uh, silent reply from the president. And uh, anyway, uh, they would finish the rest of the tour, and. Bob went home back to America. And sometime later, he got a phone call. Is that Bob? Yeah. Who's that? Oh, this is the, um, the office of the Secretary of State. Blimey. Am I in trouble? Uh, have you recently been to Kenya? I am in trouble. Did you, um, did you speak to the president? Yes. Did you speak to him about political prisoners? Oh, no. Uh, yes, I did. What did you say to him? Why? Well, I said you should let them all out. There was a long pause. And the voice at the other end said, we've been trying to let the, get those prisoners released for about two years now, and we've made absolutely no progress. But yesterday, the president let them all out and he told us that we ought to be grateful to Bob. So we've rung you up to thank you. Sometime later, Bob received a phone call from the president inviting him back to Kenya because the president was about to restructure his cabinet and wanted Bob to pray for him for three days whilst he undertook the task. One ordinary insurance salesman who believed for a miracle and prayed earnestly for it every day for six months. We are just ordinary people here. But God can do something extraordinary for, with us and through us if we will believe him and we will pray earnestly for him to do that. To finish with a little bit of encouragement for you, um, 
I met, uh, I listened to Steve Chalk on Wednesday, um, talking as he always does about how he came to faith because he was going to a Baptist church because this really nice chick went to this Baptist church and by the time he'd discovered that she didn't want anything to do with him, it was too late. He'd already discovered that God did want something to do with him and set him up with this longing in his life that he too would be a deliverer of good news to um, sad young lads with no hope and no future. And as part of this hope and future that God gave to him, which God has been using to change the world through him around the place, he uh, joined a Baptist church 12 years ago. He told a very funny story of his first, um, his first evening at the Baptist church where he, um, uh, he, was just given a, he was given a list of things to do and to pray and to say and to sing. And it said, first we sing Abba Father. So he said, okay, we sing Abba Father. So a lady on the front, so there were eight old elderly people sitting in the front row. That was, that was all there was in the congregation, eight people in the congregation. And the one on the end got up, walked to the table and pressed her finger on the, on the tape player and out came so they all sang Abba Father so he did the next bit that was on his list and then it said um, children's talk so there were eight elderly people in the congregation but he gave a children's talk and they seemed to really appreciate it and then they sang their next song which was um, At the Name of Jesus so they sang At the Name of Jesus um, and then, uh, oh no, I've got it in the wrong order. Then they sang, um, um, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? And then they finished with At the Name of Jesus. And he started to see a pattern. Everything that they sang began with A, because, because that's what was on the tape <laughs> that they were singing to. This was the kind of congregation in a rundown church in a terrible part of London that he came to join. But God used him to open up a vision amongst them that they, eight old people in a tape machine, could change their part of London. And within 12 years, there is now a thriving church, completely rebuilt, re, uh, reordered, of hundreds and hundreds of people worshiping God which has spawned off ministries of um, second, secondary school academy, primary school academy, um, some other thing academy, um, infant school, um, safe, um, safe play space, um, medical center, um, I can't, two or three other amazing, oh, um, a training center for young people, a cafe, just spreading out across their community, linking up the lives of, of members of the community who all now see themselves as part of this oasis in London. An amazing vision transforming the life of a community in 12 short years because eight people one of whom could play a tape recorder, believed God 
that through them he could change their world. I'm calling you to believe. I'm calling you to pray. I'm calling you to give. I'm calling you to worship. These are the foundations for the vision that the PCC wants to build among us based on worship and prayer and sacrifice, God will build a vision through us, out of us, big enough to change South Sea and Portsmouth and beyond. And I look forward to climbing the ladder next year and sharing with you what it is that we believe that vision is next going to entail. But in the meantime, please, Look at your brochures. Ask God, how is it that you can be involved? Is it to release more financial resources? Is it to take up the six-month prayer challenge? Is it to join one of the many prayer, regular prayer opportunities that will be unfurling over the next six months and more? What is it that God is calling you to do to be part of this vision and rather building the foundation? of a vision that can change South Sea and Portsmouth and beyond. Shall we pray? Father, you have created amongst us a house of prayer and worship. We want to be part of that. May we be, may we become together a contemporary house of prayer and worship for Portsmouth and beyond. Lord, would you unlock our hearts and our diaries and our wallets, our commitment and our will, our compassion and our determination, our welcome and generosity, that this might be your house, a house of prayer for all nations here in Portsmouth, a place where all feel welcome and all can belong, all find your pres in your presence healing and fruitfulness and joy. The joy of little children. Change our hearts, O oh Lord. Make us yours. And through us, change the world. Amen. It's been a few weeks since we had the Koreans here, and I have personally been encouraged by when they say 24-7, they came on their tummies, their knees, and all they did is shout, Shia, 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 which means Lord, Lord.
in prayer 24-7, and he has met their every need. So we are encouraged by Michael that we will also stand and see his vision. And this morning, we were here, and the Holy Spirit clearly spoke to me and said, that vision is already answered. It's in giving that we receive. So thank you, Lord Jesus. I share with you so we can all stand in prayer behind Michael and the young minister who is coming to help him, Andrew, and all people like uh, Ruth, and all the pastoral ministers who are supporting him, and the whole church, because you are all saints. So let us pray and support the prayer day, the day of prayer, to pray for our church, our community, and our city, and the whole nation. So this evening, let us open our prayers to glorify God with Psalm 19. And when I say, God of grace, we answer, hear us. For the director of music, a psalm of David we personalize today. The heaven declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voices go out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heaven, God has pinched his tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chambers, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The degrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servants are warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive our hidden faults. Keep your servants also from winful sins. May they not rule over us. 
then we will be blameless in a sense of transgression. May those words of our mouths and these meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear Papa God, we thank you for teaching us to pray without ceasing for our country. We thank you for the divine power and wisdom that is released even now upon our leaders and political office holders, nationally and locally, and especially to Northern Ireland in its current crisis. For them to do your will and for righteousness to be established in the land and in the hearts of men. We pray for our queen, for your blessings upon her and her family, and as she celebrates becoming our longest living monarch. Continue, Papa God, to bless her. Long may she reign over us. Amen. God of grace, hear us. Dear Papa God, we thank you for all who contribute to our youth and children ministries as they begin their autumn programs. Grant them the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the strength which you provide and the imagination to lead all ages from three to 18 year olds. We ask that your hand of blessing will be upon Fran Carabot and Rachel Duff as they leave on the 16th of September for their visit to the Diocese of Ho in Eastern Ghana with the aim of establishing how a group of young people could go there in 2016 to help with local projects and experience life in Africa. God of grace, hear us. Dear Papa God, we live before you, the house bound, and we ask that they may know your comforting presence through all their frustrations and limitations. Grant them loving and visiting families and friends and compassionate and effective carers and support workers. We pray that they will be kept free from financial stress and have good access to technology that can help them. There are many who are housebound, but for whom wholly independent living is not possible. And we pray that they will continue to get the provision and support which will enable them to flourish despite, despite limit what limits them. You are a healing God, and we ask that by your mighty arm, you will remove any mental, emotional, and physical problems which will restrict their independence. God of grace, hear our prayers. Dear Papa God, we bring before you Tia Fan, 
one of our mission partners, and working to bring relief and development in, in Christ's name and cooperation with local partners in many parts of the world. We pray particularly for Southern Sudan and give thanks that after months of false start and dash hope, a peace agreement has finally been signed between the government and the rebels. We ask that the peace hold this time. South Sudan people desperately need the stable platform of freedom from conflict. We thank you for the work of Tier Funds and its partners in tackling malnutrition and providing clean water and sanitation as we ask for God to prosper and bless their work. We pray also for those in the two Sudans who have been displaced by conflict and for dealing with hunger and poor sanitation. God of grace, hear us. Dear Papa God, we pray for all those who have had to flee their homes, countries, because of war, violence, and persecution. We ask for your spirit of peace and justice to turn hearts and mind to lasting solutions to the root causes of these mass displacement, displacement of people, political and ethnic, ethnic hatred, violent and inequality, stir up the British and all the people of Europe and elsewhere to make a swift, compassionate and effective responses to the needs of the refugees of your of the refugees with your guidance to our leaders as to the best courses of action. We pray for the establishment of safe havens where these traumatized by the experience of war or persecution can begin to find healing. Bless the works of Tear Fund again as it works with churches across Europe to provide care and support and funding for the relief of displaced people in Middle Eastern countries. Grant both protection and success to the relief agencies working in Iraq, Syria, Kurdish area, Lebanon, and Jordan to provide immediate help to refugees and victims. God of grace, hear us. Dear Papa God, show us who we can invite or to encourage to come to this Autumn Alpha course. We ask that the Alpha Tester on Tuesday, September the 15th, will attract many to begin their questioning adventure and what they will learn as a result. We ask that you will give the whole after Alpha team confidence, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit leading. Inspire and instruct all the speakers, beginning with our Josh McCabe, 
speaking at the tester evening, as they prepared their talk, prepared the hearts of many outside or on the fringe of the church to sign up to the Alpha courses. God of grace, hear our prayers. Dear Papa God, since Christ bore all our sins and sicknesses, then we, can, we are healed, and he confirmed it in Isaiah 53, verses 5. By his stripes, we are healed. We thank you for the good recovery from operation being experienced by David Fryer and Sarah Spender, and we use our faith to ask for complete healing for them and for all who are sick, including David Gorman, Evelyn Beth, Elaine Gilbert, Jeanette Hayward, the Bishop of Ho, others known to us personally, those suffering from Ebola. God of grace, hear us. Dear Papa God, comforter of those who mourn, we pray that you will be close to the bereaved family and friends of Fred Kerr, Steve's father, John, uh, Sean Healy, the victims of Ebola. We bring all our prayers before you in the name of Jesus. Papa God, that is why we have the courage to enter into your rest and the blessings and the benefit which is consummated in the blood of Jesus is for us to enjoy today and forever. We take possessions of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, it's been a bit longer than normal tonight. Well, we pray that God has spoken to each one of us and that we will, as we finish off this evening, remember that he is our vision as we sing our final song. And as we sing, can I just remind you that there will be prayer ministry in the far corner over here. And there will also be a basket going around for those who would like to contribute to the work for the refugees. So let's stand and remember that God is our vision. Thank you. 